Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths for the true heirs. There was a law that said that a Roman citizen could go out and adopt any child. And he had the right to make that child heir of all of his wealth. This is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. We who are not rightly his, separated by sin, he says he has adopted us and given us an inheritance. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Not everyone is fortunate to be an heir to a fortune, but those who are named in a will are likely required to divide up whatever property with others, and never knowing the full value of the estate until that time. But did you know that the children of God are all joint heirs with Jesus to an eternal inheritance in heaven? Coming up, Pastor Xavier takes us to the passage in 1 Peter that not only describes the imperishable inheritance begotten us, but that it's already been declared reserved in heaven for us. Let's listen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. The Bible is a very unique book in many ways, but one of the chief characteristics that permeates the pages of the Scriptures is the mutual care, concern, and comfort that we are to have for one another. Peter is writing to believers that are scattered throughout Asia Minor, and they are under severe persecution under Nero, knowing that they're suffering. He provides for them in verse 3 through 5 three reasons for speaking well of God in the midst of suffering. First, he says, God has begotten us again to a living hope. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is meant by living hope? Peter is saying that the believer is not simply existing in this life. He was before, but now he isn't. You see, prior to our coming to Christ, I mean, I thought I was living. I'm sure you thought you were living, and maybe you're not born again this morning. And you think you're living, but if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're existing. And it's just a matter of time before your existence is over. See, only the Christian is living. He says, a living hope. You see, our living hope is far beyond just this life. Our living hope is that hope to be with Jesus. There's a vast difference. Paul tells the Corinthians, if we, speaking about the Christian have hope only in this life. We are, of all men, most miserable. But our hope is not only in this life, but it also points to the future. And it's based on God's power that raised up Jesus Christ. Not our own abilities, but God's power. Now, in view of this, Peter says, Speak well of God. Praise Him. Why? Because He has begotten us to a living hope. Peter moves on. He says that God is to be spoken of well and praised because he has begotten us again to an inheritance. Verse 4. That inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What is the kind of inheritance that he's speaking about? A very special kind. Now, when you think of an inheritance, you usually think of something that you obtain from a family member or a very close friend 
that is left to you after his death. Now, under the Roman law, there was a law that said that a Roman citizen could go out and adopt any child. He didn't have to be related. He could be a total stranger. And he could bring that child in and he would do so. And he had the right to make that child the heir of his home. Giving him a position which did not rightfully belong to him by birth. According to Roman law, he could take that son or daughter, adopting them and making them heir of all of his wealth and giving nothing to those who were rightfully his children. And that would be long. This is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. We who were not rightly his, separated by sin, he says he has adopted us. That very same word that is in Roman law is used by Paul. And he has made us his children and given us an inheritance. Now we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, Romans 17, 8, 17 says. You know what joint heir means? That means that everything is split right down the middle. <laughs> everything that the Father has given to Christ is mine. Interesting. I don't even have the mind to understand that completely. The Scriptures gives us a little glimpse of that. He says that we are kings and priests. A nation of kings and priests being born again. The Bible says that we will judge angels. We will reign with Jesus. That's just part of being joined heir with him. But not only that, we are heavenly citizens and look for a city whose builder and maker is God. You see, the believer does not put all his eggs in one basket. The basket being the world. My hope is not in this world. I hope yours isn't either. Now, throughout the church age, there have always been groups within the church who have risen up trying to preach and live out a theology that we can change the world. All we need to do is get a Christian president, a couple of Christian senators. We'll storm the gates of hell. We'll gain ground back for Jesus. That's kingdom and dominion theology. When you're living under kingdom and dominion theology, what you're saying is, that you can change the world when Jesus says it would get worse and worse. What you're saying is that Jesus won't set up the kingdom, but that you're going to set up the kingdom. That's bad theology. Real bad theology. Now, does that mean we don't do anything? No. But whatever I do, I do because it comes out from my theological perspective and what the Scriptures teach, and I do it as responsible in this world, but never thinking that I'm going to conform or reform the world. God has called us to transform men and women. And in that process, those men and women will affect the society, but never thinking that we're going to change the world and it's going to get better and better and better and everybody's going to be a Christian. That's bad theology. Real bad theology. And throughout the church age, people have fallen prey to that philosophy, and today it is being taught all over again. Our citizenship is in heaven. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Now Peter says we are to speak well of God because he has 
begotten us to an inheritance. Thirdly, Peter says that we are to speak well and praise God because God has begotten us again for salvation. Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What exactly does Peter mean by salvation? We read it often in the Bible. The word salvation means deliver, it means safety, it means health, and it even means wholesome or entireness in terms of soundness in its root form. Jesus often says your faith has made you whole. The root word means entire or healthy. And so when we speak of salvation, we are speaking about more than just being saved from danger, but we are speaking about being made whole in terms of our spiritual state. For the Bible says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were separated from God and our spiritual life Though we may have, may have been religious, though we may have had some religious inclinations, some concepts about God, when we came to God, we realized how wrong we were when we compared it to the Scriptures. And so we need to understand everything in relationship to the Scriptures to see if we're right. We are saved, first of all, from God's wrath to come. Jesus said in John 3.36, he who has the Son has life. And he who has not the Son has not life. And the wrath of God abides in him. That's a very heavy statement. And make no mistake, it's from the very words and lips of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans 5.1 that we are justified through the work of Christ and therefore we have peace with God. You see, if you're not born again, if you don't serve Christ, then you don't have peace with God. You are under God's wrath. God is at war with you, and you are at war with Him. Only through the person of Christ can we have or make peace with God. And once we make peace with God through the atoning work of Christ, then we can have the peace of God. No other way. But secondly, we are saved for a heavenly kingdom. You see, we're not only saved from God's wrath, but we're saved unto God's kingdom. We will rule and reign with Him. We are not looking to be established here. Our hope is not in this world that is corrupt, our hope is not in man. But our hope is in the words of Jesus Christ. He says, not one, not one jot, not one tittle, these are markings over the letters, will fail. If he has said it, he will fulfill it. Now, how can we be assured of our salvation? Two ways. First, he says here, we are kept by the power of God. This is the divine side. 
Okay, here we go again. Divine, human. <laughs> that mysterious blend of the two which we don't understand. He says, we are kept by the power of God. The word kept is a military word to garrison. The very same word is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, when he's speaking, when he was in Damascus and the garrison was holding the city, trying to find him, and he was let down in a basket from a window. We are kept by the power of God. I am assured of my salvation because God has saved me. God has begotten me to a living hope. God has begotten me to an inheritance. And so it is God who I have my eyes fixed on, not on me, not in the situation, not my circumstance. But secondly, he says, through faith for salvation. Here's the human side. See, I can't just cop out and say, well, yes, you know, my trust is in God. But then on the other side, are you living by faith? If you're living by faith, then you're trusting that it's God who's keeping you, but your faith lives out a life that demonstrates that God is in you. If your life does not reflect that God is in you, then your confidence and boast that God keeps you is in vain. For James says, if your life does not reflect your faith, then your faith is in vain. And so once again, we have that mysterious blend of the two. Paul expressed his assurance saying, I am confident, I am persuaded that he is able, I am able to commit that, speaking about his salvation, to the day of Jesus Christ. Jude says he is able to present us faultless, without spot, with exceeding joy. But Peter, once again, he reminds them of their conduct of life that is based upon the work of Christ in them. When will this salvation be revealed? The end of verse 5 says, in the last time. When Christ returns, all of his saints will return with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Revelation 19 will come back to set up the kingdom with him. Our salvation will be revealed in the last time in its finality. We have been saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved, the scriptures teach. It's much like a baby in the womb. It is a baby from the moment of conception, an individual. Contrary to the belief of abortionists, that it's just tissue. The scriptures teach that life begins at conception. God told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And so, as a baby is in the womb for nine months, it is finally realized nine months afterwards. My youngest sister just had a baby while I was gone last week. And uh, we knew she was pregnant. We were confident she was pregnant. We, we, we were positive she was going to have a baby for nine months. But it wasn't realized till last week when the baby came forth. But there was never any doubt that there was a baby in there. We didn't say, well, maybe she just ate too many tacos. <laughs> now, we knew she had a baby in there. 
There was an assurance. And so the same with our salvation. Read 1 John. Great, great points for assurance of your salvation. You can know if you're saved. Now we're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. That not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. God saves us. We hear the word, the Spirit convicts us, we open our heart to Him, and He saves us immediately, and He begins that process. And we press towards the mark. They're in the process right now. Peter is saying, come on, you guys, get your eyes on the Lord. Remember what he's saying. He's begotten you to a living hope. He's, been, he's begotten you to an inheritance. And here he states, he has begotten you for salvation. We're saved in spite of our persecution. Do you know that? We're not saved to escape persecution. We are saved that many times includes persecution. For Paul went out to the first Gentiles in Acts 14 and says, By the way, we must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Now what a depressing message. But it's the truth, and Jesus always told the truth. He never pulled punches. He says, You want to be my disciple? The birds of the air have where to lodge. Foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Interesting. Jesus never candy-coated the gospel like we do today on TV and radio and the pulpit. He laid it on the line. Paul says in Romans 8.18 that the sufferings that we experience in this life cannot even be compared to the eternal glory. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18 that, that, that everything that we experience here is temporal and fading away. But we do not fix our eyes on that which is temporal and fading, but on that which is eternal. And it cannot even be compared one against the other. That's reality. That's not something that we say to ourselves, that we be persuaded. That is reality and truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now be careful not to justify or rationalize your sin as persecution. If you are saying, I'm saved to a living hope, to an inheritance, to salvation. And if you are living in sin and you're not doing anything about it, then I don't know what assurance you have. 